Good morning. Great to be back with you again uh, this Sunday. Uh, I took a note of who was here last week, uh, and some of you came back, so that's encouraging. Uh, speaking to Dave Ramsey last Sunday after the service, and he said he had to be here because he was playing, so that was really encouraging. Uh, thanks to Alison, the band for leading us, and Hannah and Claire at the back as well for making everything work for the service. Uh, today we're going to read another whole book of the Bible. If you were here last week, you know that's what we did last, so we read a letter uh, to Philemon last week, and we're going to look at another one. And this one's in the New Testament, and it's been described as the most neglected book in the New Testament. Isn't that exciting? So <laughs> it turns out that even though this is just a little book, uh, people don't like reading it very often. Uh, the scholars, the commentators, uh, they don't like looking at it. Uh, and actually, the guys here at Carrick in the men's Bible study, I heard this morning, they looked through it, uh, spent a few hours on this book, and at the end just went, there's just some things you're not supposed to know about. So today we're only going to scratch the surface, really, of this little book. I wonder if you have an idea of what it is. Uh, it's called Jude. And it's found right at the, the back of our Bibles. And it's uh, a small book. At first reading, it's hard to understand. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And as it's a whole counsel of God, the Bible, then it's there for a reason. So before we get into this uh, little book, let's just take a moment and uh, to ask God for his help as we read this today. Lord God, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. Thank you for the time that we've already spent praising you, speaking to you. And God, as we now come to your word, God, we ask that you would now speak to us. God, would you help us to hear what it is you're saying? God, help us to to then apply the truth of your word into our lives. And God, we know that we don't come here uh, separate from everything else that's happening around us in our lives, in our country, in our world. God, there are many people who are hurting. God, there are many people who are struggling. There are circumstances that are, are pressing in on us. But God, we ask as we are gathered here now, God, that you would help us just to hear from you, to concentrate on what it is that you're seeking to say to us today. So be with us now as we hear from you, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. So as I said, this is the book of Jude, and it's found right at the back of your Bible. It's the last letter just before Revelation. If you have a Bible, then I encourage you to open up, or if you maybe got it on a device, uh, to look it up. The words of the text will be on the screen as well. Give you just a moment to find that. This is the letter of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. 
Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes of ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Oh boy, some tough bits in there, isn't there? Some bits that you think, I'm not going to understand that today. That's okay, I don't understand it either. I'll freely say that. There's bits in here which commentators and others have struggled with. 
But we're going to try and see what God might have to say to us as we gather here at Carrick Baptist this morning. And we're going to ask, just as we did last week, some questions. We're going to try and develop this questioning mindset towards God's Word, just to help us understand maybe a bit better what God is saying. So my first question, and you know I like to start with a simple question, is this. Who wrote this book? That's the easiest question I'm going to give you. So if there's no answer to this, we're going to struggle. (laughs) Jude, yes, it's the letter of Jude. It says that you got, yeah, you can breathe a sigh of relief. You got that one right. It says there in verse 1, we look, it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. It's the same as those other letters we talked about last week. The author identifies himself in the first line or first couple of lines. And what do we know about him? Well, we can see that then here. He describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, if that's the case, when he's mentioning his brother, That means that the person who wrote this letter is also the half-brother of Jesus. James was Jesus' brother, and here is Jude, who says he is the brother of James. Now, if we look to other parts of the Bible to find out if this is true, if what this author is saying is true, we can look up Mark chapter 6, verse 3. We call that a a cross-reference when you look into other parts of God's Word to help you understand the bit that you're reading. And they say this about Jesus. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? You know, after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary went on to have other children, sons and daughters. And here in Mark 6, verse 3, they mention someone called Judas. And Jude is the shortened version of that name. But as, not, as to not be confused with another famous Judas, does anyone know another Judas who was close to Jesus during his time? He wasn't known for very good reasons, <clears throat> I'll tell you that. He was the one who betrayed Jesus. Now imagine you shared the name with someone else who had betrayed Jesus. Would you not think about changing your name slightly? No, you'd all be happy with just being called Judas. Okay, it's each to their own. But he changes his name just slightly. This is how he was identified as not being Judas Iscariot. Do you notice also how he describes himself? He doesn't say the brother of Jesus. He says instead a servant of Jesus. I wonder if you were Jesus' brother, would you be tempted to mention it? That's my brother. It's a probably the biggest name drop you could do, isn't it? That's my brother, Jesus. But not Jude. Here, at this stage in Jude's life, as he writes this letter, he knows who Jesus truly is. He knows who he really is. And so he places himself not as his brother. He doesn't see him as his brother, but he sees him as his servant. He was happy to be considered as Christ's servant. So that's who has written the letter. And the next question is this, who is Jude writing to? We see that again in the same verse. He says this, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept 
for Jesus Christ. To those who are called. In other words, he's, he's writing to Christians. You know, as I was preparing for this, that, that sentence just really caught me. Uh, actually, we're just going to take a moment to pause and think about this sentence and what Jude is saying here about Christians, because it's really special. You see how he describes them at first? He says, they're called. That phrase, to those who are called, refers to all Christians. Refers to both the Christians that he was writing to, this letter went to, but also it recalls, refers to all of us. Anyone who is in a saving relationship with Jesus is called. So this letter is written to you and me. The Apostle Paul, he would write the same in Romans chapter 1. He said this, You who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To his letter, he said, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You see, God has called you and me into a saving relationship with him. And what I mean is that salvation, that act of saving, it's God's work. It's his alone. He offers it to us. He's the one who initiated it. Initiated initiated, That's a hard word to say. Shouldn't have wrote that down. Should have changed the word. He initiated it towards us. It wasn't us. It was him. And this is a powerful uh, truth for us to grasp just in this little phrase that you're called. Charles Spurgeon described it well. He said this, I believe in the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, had not called me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I could never find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. I wonder, can you relate to that sentiment from Spurgeon? There's nothing within me that would, that would draw God to me, surely. And there's nothing in me naturally that would draw me to him. But he says Christians are called. God has called you if you're saved. He's called you to salvation. And by Jude using this term, he's not just writing, as I said, to a particular people at a single point in time. He's talking to all of us. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. Well, we serve a God who calls people. He's constantly calling. Maybe if you haven't responded to that yet call, call, he's speaking to you this morning and calling you to enter into this relationship with him. He's speaking to you. Secondly, you'll, you'll see in the verse that he describes him as beloved. Maybe as you listen to the letter as we read it or as you uh, look down through the letter, you'll notice that Jude calls these people beloved. He actually says it four times through the letter. He also mentions love or the love of God three times. You know, it's helpful if you want to understand what a passage is about. It's a good indication if there's a word that keeps getting repeated throughout the passage, then there must be something important about that word. 
If you were studying a passage, you would call that a key word. We call it a key word because it unlocks the meaning of the passage a bit more for us. Now that term, when Jude is using that term, he's not saying that I love you guys. It's not a term from him toward the people. It's a term used to show that they're loved by God. That it's God's love that has been shown to this people. It's because of their relationship with Christ. It's actually the same word that's used when God says at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The love that God has for his own son Jesus is the same love that God has for you and me. God loves you. The God of the universe, the God who created all things, he loves you and me. That's powerful, isn't it? Please don't ever think that that's impossible, that God could never love me. And if you are a Christian, don't don't doubt that God loves you. He knows what you're like. He knows the things that you've done. And yet Romans 5 verse 8 tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God shows his love to us. That while we were still sinners, he showed love. God loves you. Fantastic. The final description is this. Jude says that you're kept for Christ Jesus. Well, what does that phrase mean? Well, again, if you look back at the letter, that word kept or keep keeps showing up. Well, what does it mean? Well, and it's used in a couple of contexts through the letter, but if we think first how it relates to Christians, if you look that word up in the Greek, the meaning of that word is, is to preserve, to, to protect, to take care of. Well, what are we being pre- preserved for? For what purpose or for whom? Well, it says that we're being kept for Jesus. You see, one day Jesus is going to return, just as promised. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that word again, kept? We're being preserved and kept for the return of Christ God is holding firmly on to you this morning. If you're a Christian, if you're, you've been called and you're loved by him, God is holding firmly on to you and he will not let you go. Whatever the circumstances that you're facing today in your life that you know about, the ones that are taking up the head space, the ones that are taking up the heart space, the things that you think are going to break you, God is not going to let you go. So this morning, if you are a Christian, then that description that Jude has written, that's for you. That's about you. You're called, you're beloved in God, and God is holding on to you. He's not going to let go of you. It's amazing, isn't it? Just in that one verse. Well, thank God for who we are now in Christ. Maybe you needed to hear that this morning. And I pray that God would just take that truth and apply it into your heart and just warm your spirit today. And to be honest, I would love for us just to stop there. 
Okay, that's some good news, isn't it, what we've just been looking at? But there is a whole rest of the letter to, to look at. And there's more to this letter than some positive affirmation that he wants to give to the believers. A good question to ask of any text in the Bible is why was this being written? Why did Jude write this? Well, is there anything in the text to tell us? Well, yes, there is. If we look down at uh, verse 3, it tells us this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Sometimes it's not as obvious, but Jude spells it out for us in this letter. He wants us to contend for the faith. He wants us to fight for it. He wants us to really hold on to it, to to cling to it. Well, why would we need to contend for it? Why do we need to fight for this uh, faith that we have? Being a Christian is wonderful, isn't it? We've just looked at that in verse 1. It's brilliant. But Jude knows there is a danger facing Christians. And it's a danger in the church. He says this. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for, the condemnation, for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. People have come into the church. People have come amongst Christians and they're leading people away from the faith and from key doctrines of the Christian faith. Did you notice how they're described? He says they're ungodly people. In other words, they're not godly people. They're the opposite. And again, if you look down through that text, you'll see that word ungodly or ungodliness. It appears several times in the letter. So how would you describe that word if it's there lots? It's a, it's a key word. I'm so glad you're here this morning, honestly. Thank you. It's a key word. Well, what do these ungodly people do? Well, the first thing that Jude mentions is, is how they are, they're turning grace into sensuality. In other words, they're using our new position of being forgiven for a free license to sin. I'm forgiven, which means I can now do what I want. I think we can be sometimes like that, can't we? Sometimes once you're saved, we kind of have that, that ticket to heaven. We have forgiveness, and so now it doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter the things that we do. We kind of use it as a, a pass. This idea wasn't a new thing either. Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 6, he, he tackled this issue as well, and he wrote a lot more about it. He says, what shall we say, say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If you're a Christian, surely you're, you flee from doing wrong. You've turned your back on that stuff, and now you're seeking to live in a way that pleases God. Yet here were people who had come into the church and they were doing that very thing. The second thing that they were doing was denying that Jesus was their Lord, not necessarily saying that that he was not Christ. That would be quite obvious, wouldn't it? That's an obvious heresy. 
but denying his rule over their lives and continuing to indulge in sin. You see, Jude said, Jesus Christ is our only master and Lord. But these people weren't, weren't living like that. And these people had, they crept into the church. I love that imagery that, that Jude uses. Or someone sneaking in quietly unnoticed. <clears throat> you know when you're running late in, to church and you sneak into the back row? <clears throat> I'm not saying that you're false teachers or anything. But, but then again, no. Uh, <clears throat> these people that Jude talks about, they're leading other people astray. They're leading other people astray either through disobedience or bad theology. Well, how do we recognize these people in our churches? Don't start looking around at everyone. How do we spot false teaching? How do we, we recognize fake Christians? Well, the purpose of this letter Jude explains is to show that we can see them by looking at their character and by looking at their behavior. And he does this by drawing comparisons with examples from the past and he he does it by describing their actions. If you look at the the middle of the letter, he describes the faithlessness of, of Israelites who were brought out of Egypt but they didn't believe God or, or trust his word. He mentions angels who, didn't, who rejected God and his authority. He describes Sodom and Gomorrah who indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire. He mentions Cain who, when rebuked by God, he then went, instead of repenting, he went and murdered his own brother. He mentions Balaam. He was a foreign king who once blessed God's people, but then he led them astray. There was Korah, a man who rejected Moses and rebelled against Moses in the Old Testament. And Jude is using these examples, and you could look at each of these individually and really get down into the detail of them and discover a lot more about them. But there is a common theme as you look at each of them. In one way or another, they all rejected God's authority. They did not treat God as Lord. Often they were rebelling against the person who had been appointed by God to be his spokesman or to be his leader, and they rejected them and therefore rejected God. They rejected his authority in their life. That's the common theme of each of those examples, those difficult examples that Jude mentions. He goes on as well, though, to describe their actions and their behavior. He says in uh, verse 8, yeah, in like manner, these people also, you see, like manner, referring back to those examples he's given in the past. These people rely on their dreams. They defile the flesh. In other words, they sin. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. Verse 16 gets a bit more specific. He says they're grumblers, malcontents. They go after their own sinful desires. They're boasters. They show favoritism. They're always looking for personal advantage. Verse 19 says it's these people who cause divisions. 
who seek to break apart God's people. They're worldly people. They're devoid of the Spirit. You know, when we take all this stuff together, Jude is telling us that the most obvious way to spot a false teacher or a fake Christian is their character. Are they walking the walk? Or do they just talk about it? Does their life match up with the things that they're saying, but also with the things that they're doing? You know, there's some obvious signs maybe that we could look for. Are they rude to people? Do they exploit others? Do they blaspheme God's name? Do they sleep around? Maybe there's more subtle things as well. Do they act selfishly? Do they cause divisions amongst God's people? Are they a proud person? These things could all be like red flags to us. But Jude doesn't just end there. He says, all these false teachers, he says they aren't going to get away with it. There will be a day of judgment. And all those examples that he gave from the past, well, what happened to them? Judgment and condemnation. Look at what happened. Verse 6, angels have been kept in chains for their judgment. Verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah were punished. Verse 11, people perished in Korah's rebellion. Verse 14 to 15 explains that God is bringing judgment upon the ungodly. Because here's the bottom line. There is judgment for anyone who rejects God's authority. That's biblical truth. There is, any, there is judgment for anyone who chooses the things over this world rather than obedience to God and his word. It's tough, that, isn't it? But God is a God of justice. Justice has to be done. And so for anyone who rejects God's authority, we'll face it. Now, it's, it's fair to say that Jude and the issues Jude has mentioned there particularly aimed at false teachers. In verse 12, he says this. They're like shepherds feeding themselves. He's talking about people who look after the flock. He says they don't care about anyone but themselves. And in verse 12 to 13, he gives a, a great picture of what they look like to help us understand. Waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wild waves of the sea. You see, these people, these false teachers, there's no purpose to what they're saying. There's no life in them. In fact, Jesus says you're better if you want life, vitality, avoid these people in case you end up like them. So judgment will come. But what are we to do? Well, Jude has already explained that this is an appeal to us in this letter to contend for the faith. We have to fight. Fight against false teaching call it out when we hear it. Anything that's said maybe from the front of your church up here, we need to test it against God's word and see if it matches up with the full counsel of God. But it's another call. Jude tells us, don't worry about those people. Persevere. Be merciful. It says in verse 20 to 21, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Three action words, building up in the faith, praying in the Spirit, waiting for mercy. 
They're present tense action words. These are the things that we should all be doing. You see, the Christian life is not a passive thing. It's a life of action. We're being called uh, not to a future glory, but also now to live out our faith right here, right now. And Jesus says, you have to contend for it. It's going to be a fight. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll know that the Christian life has not been easy. Perseverance is the name of the game, folks. You have to keep coming back to God's love. You need to be reminded, like we, <clears throat> excuse me, reminded of it this morning as we opened this uh, message. We need to speak with him regularly. We need to not only hear from him as he has spoken through his word, but we need to talk to him as well in prayer. We need to keep on keeping on. It's perseverance. Last thing I just want to mention very quickly is something about verse 22 and verse 23. There's a practical action in this verse here as well. It says to have mercy. It's a straightforward application. Have mercy on others. Remember last week when we looked at Philemon, it was very much a case of you've been forgiven, so be a forgiving people. Well, Jude has the same idea here. You know mercy. So be merciful. Be merciful to others if you know God's mercy in your life. But as I read this verse, it also reminded me of something else. As I mentioned that phrase, to snatch people out of the fire, that God is in the business of saving people. He's a just God and condemnation will come on those who reject authority. But God is in the business of saving people. People who have gone astray. People who have taught false teaching. They can be snatched from the fire. Do you see that in the verse? See, God is merciful. He's the God of second chances. In fact, he's the God of many chances. And we can play a part in that by showing other people what it is to model mercy. By us doing that, by us being merciful, not only will we have an opportunity to even save them from the fire, but we can model God's mercy to them. And you know, helping people to avoid hell, that is, that is a huge spiritual fight. You really have to contend for that. But there, it'll be worth it, won't it? 100% worth it. You know, it'd be easy if false teachers, pretend Christians, fake Christians made it obvious that they were amongst us in the church trying to wreck our faith or trying to lead us astray, but they don't. Remember, these are people who had crept in. It says actually that they had been around the Lord's table. They sound and look like regular Christians. So we have to be alert. We have to be listening to the, the prompting of the Spirit. Is this person teaching God's word or are they teaching their own? And it would be easy to think maybe that, as we've looked at this letter very quickly, that Jude is talking about other people here. He's not talking about me. He's not talking about us, surely. Maybe you could take time maybe this week, to reread this letter and, and reflect on your own attitude and behavior. Are you using grace, God's grace, as an excuse to do wrong? Do you declare Christ as Lord, but you're living by your own authority, not under God's authority? Are you being merciful to others as God has been merciful to you? I'm just going to take a moment and leave a bit of quiet before I pray.
And maybe you want to take a moment to talk with him and ask him to show you your heart before him and help apply the truths of what he's taught you this morning.